0: are driving Kelly for like serious self work. Get
1: curious about sex. I'm not only going to woo my partner, but I'm going to woo myself. And then meditate. I'm like, oh my god, I'm a monk. You're not always in control. And it was like prize, Not have periods. Did not have emotions. I'm going to need to feel everything. I
0: found, I found in those shattered pieces my truth.
1: We're just piling more shame and judgment on top of the original problem. You're sick. Your body's revolting against you. Epstein-Barr virus, not a megalovirus. These are things
0: that can be simmering on you that you don't know. And they're the trigger for your problem.
1: Making the connection between your mind and your body your Emotional needs. That is how we heal. You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. The man, the myth, the legend, Dave Hollis is with us today. I have so been looking forward to this interview and sharing it with you. I loved Dave's book. Get out of your own way, and I really respect and admire the vulnerability that he walked into writing this with and this conversation. He says himself, nothing is off limits with him, and he's willing to really get into the weeds and talk about where he's been, which allowed for the life that he has now, and where he wants to go and continuing this pursuit of growth. And in this episode, I feel we had a little bit different conversation than I've ever heard him have before, which I really loved. We get into numbing, his fear of being fully seen, actually living his greatest fear, which was living below his full potential. And this was my favorite part. We talk about shedding identities. So he and I speak very different languages when it comes to personal development and spirituality. But as we talked about shedding identities, we really resonated with each other on this feeling and what it's like to let go of an old version of you in order to make space for what's to come and what's meant for you. He talks about leaving comfort for what you need, feeling out of control and what that spiral is like. We both talked about being the really tall kid with acne and being very smart and how we stuck out all of our lives. And we really get into conversations and communication in relationship and how we can release the voice that has a hold on us in order to get back in touch with our intuition and our true selves. And then we end the conversation talking about S-E-X, yes. We got into sex, how vodka does not help it, and what he has learned throughout his years of marriage and what it brought up in him in terms of sharing his own desires, wanting to get curious, wanting to try different things. Oh, I just love this so much. So please enjoy this conversation with Dave Hollis. And don't forget to pick up Get Out of Your Own Way wherever books are sold. Dave, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Kelly, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. This is so great. I have to tell you, I absolutely loved your book. And I am so proud of the way you put it out in the world and the way you shared your story. It just, from someone who works in personal development and and really believes in helping people in such an authentic, raw way, you truly went there and there was really nothing off limits for you. And it was just uh, honestly a permission slip for me to be even more honest in my own way and supporting people. So thank you for the way you wrote this and and just your vulnerability overall i think it's it's really inspiring for so many people
0: that is so nice uh, i will tell you this it was one really really hard to write this darn book i mean i think creating anyway is a hard thing but uh writing something that was vulnerable was a little bit like going through therapy so i appreciate the recognition of it having been effective in some capacity but i also will say I did not always believe that vulnerability was the superpower that I believe it to be. Now I thought it was a vulnerability for a long, long time. Uh, when I was first handed Rachel's girl, wash your face, are you are familiar with this woman that I'm married to her name is Rachel. She wrote a book called <laughs> go wash your face. And when she handed that, uh, like totally rough draft version of it to me, I had a panic attack. I tried to convince her with every persuasive bone in my body to not release the book because I thought it was a mistake to be that honest about the way that she'd struggled. And I, to be honest, did not myself think I would write a book until after she didn't listen to me, she put the book out and I was able to witness the way that other people in seeing themselves in her story were able to feel less alone for just this connecting empathy of shared experience and struggle. And also, And how they were able to apply some of the tools and tricks that she was using to maybe get their life uh, a little bit better. Uh, I thought, man, maybe there's a chance for me to do it, too. But when I decided to do it, then you got to go all the way in. You can't like halfway do vulnerability. If you're going to go there, you might as well go. So I'm glad that I'm glad that it was effective, even if it was hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you bring up Rachel, of course, so many people have been introduced to you through your wife, which I think is a really incredible path to take to Being inspired by a man, when you come into this space, oftentimes, I think so many of the people that are in your guys' community have been inspired by a woman, largely women in your community. And then all of a sudden this man comes forward and says, I can be vulnerable too. And this is the path that I've taken, not identical. This is how I've taken these steps. This is what I've done for myself. And I think something you both do so well is teach on how to let go of all the noise. And all of these external factors that really play into our decision-making and what we believe about ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves. And I'm just curious what your path to letting go of the noise and the chaos has looked like for you.
0: Well, I wish I could say I just was enlightened and decided (laughs) to, man, that would be easy. Uh, For me, it took uh, a very interesting coming together of three things to create massive leverage. Uh, I, you know, I, there. Are, I think two different kinds of people in this world. There are people who can be really motivated by the vision of how great things can be, and they can connect to that vision, and that vision wakes them up in the morning and makes them want to go chase their dreams and show up well for their life. And then there are people that are a little more wired, like me, who, if they can appreciate the thing that could happen in the absence of action, the path that you might continue down if you don't change direction. Uh, Me connecting to what might happen if I were to continue down a path of not showing up as well as my wife deserved or my kids deserved was a real kick in the rear for me and began for me a journey in personal development that um, because of this weird threshold I was crossing between 30 and 40 where for the first time I was asking a different set of questions about my purpose on this planet, and why these tools that I had given to me by our creator were not fully being utilized. I was working inside of an environment where I had really just chased achievement and and status in some respects for years and years and years while I built a career. And then I got to a place that I had convinced myself was where happiness lied. And I got there and the outside optics of that great job and the inside feelings that I was processing were so disconnected that I, it was complicit in why this weird transition was taking place. And then my wife took off on this crazy growth journey of her own, that in her interest in understanding why she felt the things that she did in particular, why she struggled with anxiety, why she handled coping in certain ways. Um, she started to recognize the power of applying tools and the work that you can do on yourself to become a bigger, better version of yourself. And the contrast of her growth and my stagnation created this dissonance that really fed into some of that leverage for needing me needing to make change. And so, um, I decided to make this change more than anything. I started to do, do this work more than anything out of this recognition that if I were to maintain the trajectory that I was on, I was putting at risk all of the things that I had worked so hard for my life to create our marriage, this family, the way, I felt about myself when I was by myself um that to me is pretty the, the biggest thing that we on this planet are trying to feel good in and I wasn't feeling good about myself when I was by myself because of a whole host of things and so man I had to get to work
1: I think it was really interesting in the book when you said your biggest fear was not was living below your full potential yet you were living below your full potential right and this is where we get caught It's our biggest fear, but we're doing it anyway. How do you break free from that and not get stuck in that cycle of energetically bringing in the thing that you really don't want the most?
0: Yeah, well, for me, I had to, and I think anyone, if you are in any season of stuck, if you are in a season of under-fulfillment, if the outside veneer isn't matching the inside feeling... Uh, the first thing you have to do is start with self-awareness, right? I had to become self-aware of why I did the things I did, why I felt the way that I did, why the 50 plus percent of things that I was doing in my unconscious with my habits were the, the, what they were. And so I had to start on the couch of a stranger in therapy then inside of the pages of books and then in the audience of a personal development conference. And each of those experiences gave me a little bit more of a tip and a little bit more of a hint at where I might find answers to why, so that in building some self-awareness, I could construct a map to get through this thing that I was stuck inside of. And so, um, when I was in this world, doing things that were anchored to achievement, anchored to certainty, two things that had controlled many of the decisions of my life, I was doing it at the expense of growth. I was doing it at the expense of feeling a sense of truly utilizing everything that I'd been given because man, I had the good job. I was making the money that was providing for my family. I was checking all of these boxes against the conventional backdrop of what society was saying you ought to like and want to afford for your family. And when I got to the why, I could see, oh man, isn't this interesting? Achievement has been a part of my wiring since I was five years old, when my achieving to try and get the affection, attention of my, of my mom, my parents, of those that were around me was this way that validated or affirmed me as being whole or good or enough or worthy of being, you know, someone that someone else would like. And man, that's a thing that maybe can be a good motivator for some length of time, but it also ends up being exhausting at a certain point. And there was this thing in achievements that for me always was a, a motivator that was somewhat dependent on outside forces, right? Here we are in the midst of a quarantine where outside forces are upending some of our ability to achieve some of the things that we traditionally have been afforded. I had this career trajectory that every year for the first 10 years that I worked at the Walt Disney Company, I had a new job. So achievement was being satisfied in this thing that was driving me. And then for the last seven years that I was there, I got a dream job, but I never had another thing that I was achieving. I never got a new job. I never had more status. And in the absence of a new title, and the absence of more status, in an environment where I didn't have to work as hard as the learning curve was satisfied, it made me start to, on some unconscious level, question if I was still being seen as worthy, if I was still as lovable as I was back when I was getting promoted as often as I was. And so I had to deconstruct the entire framework of how I thought about achievements in my life, how I thought about certainty as a commodity that I was chasing, and if in the the, the, one of the first kind of aha moments of my, of my journey, this tie between growth and fulfillment, if I was truly going to unlock and totally use my potential, it would require me to take certainty and achievement and transform them into something that pushed me outside of my comfort into places where I would fail into places where in being uncomfortable, I would grow. And, uh, and it's man in that choppy water away from the dock where your potential is fully asked to come out and uh, and and if you can rise to that call you can feel a sense of fulfillment a way you couldn't otherwise
1: i resonate with that so much my background is in television i was a tv host in la for the lakers and the dodgers and everything was about achievement in that world and attention and external validation and making lots and lots of money and i kept climbing the ladder and kept doing the thing and then all of a sudden I looked at myself one day and I didn't recognize myself. And I was like, what are you doing? This is not for you. This is for other people. And you're chasing this thing that is outside of yourself. And I no longer felt genuine or authentic. And I don't know that I ever really did, to be honest. And for me, when I let that go and moved out of that space, it was like coming home to myself and meeting myself. Some of it felt like meeting myself for the first time, but a lot of it felt like, Oh, there I am. And I've been there, but I've kind of been pushed down and I've been ignoring this version of myself for so long. And I'm curious for you if it felt like a sense of coming home or if it felt like this brand new version of Dave that you had never known before.
0: It felt very uh, brand new. In fact, I, I am becoming more comfortable with the fact that I am on a never ending discovery of who I really am there isn't some destination like oh now i figured it out this is who i am i am um, and i thought by the way that my goal was to get back to who i was or that i just needed to figure out who i am and now i realize i'll never fully understand who i am i'm on a journey to continue to in you know in, in just add additional layers or different pieces to this tapestry of who i am through the experiences of my life i am i'm sure of this i thought what was going to happen is i was going to flip this switch leave what I knew for what I needed, leave this, you know, corporate environment for the startup environment and things were just going to feel great. And it was going to be awesome. (laughs) And as much as the last two years have been unbelievably great, I mean, truly the best two years of my entire life. They've also been arguably the hardest two years of my life because of taking on a wholesale change in identity, in having to unlearn a whole bunch of muscle memory that worked well in my old environment and has very little application in this new one, figuring out how to work well with my partner who I still want to make out with at the end of every day. And Rachel thinking about scaling a business in an environment where the price of entry is failure at a frequency that I have never experienced in my life. All of these things were wildly disorienting to who I am. And so the beauty of it honestly has been, I am changed in how I think about what failure means to me and what identity means to me and what the weight of other people means to me because man, so many of those things were complicit in keeping me where I was. And now that I've reframed what I think of each of them, they've created freedom in how I pursue what I do. doesn't make it easy, but there's freedom in pursuing it. Um, When I think about like the craziness of like the answer to unlocking my potential, It was about leaving a a value framework that other people, society, my colleagues at work, my parents, my upbringing had put on me, that I had myself given value to. And my decision to leave it to pursue the unlocking of my potential meant potentially having people who were still inside of that framework, questioning my sanity, wondering what I was up to. And my worry of what they might think of me leaving a value framework that they still lived inside of kept me from making a decision that I am so grateful to have made by like 18 months, two years worth of time than where I just sat in suffering. And so if you're listening to this and you feel called compelled to chant, to chase after the unlocking of your potential, but you're worried about what other people might think I will give you a gift. No one is thinking about what you're doing. And once you leave, they won't actually still be thinking about your decision to leave what they still have value for. Um, It it doesn't mean that they're bad people. They are just human like you and concerned first with themselves. And now that I can see that it too, as like a freedom mechanism affords me the opportunity to take chances in figuring out who I am every single day. And so uh, I'm learning more things about myself in quarantine as I've taken to self grooming, not wearing my own glasses, growing facial hair. I mean, I am transforming into a totally different person in real time, in part because I'm like putting on an avatar of sorts so that I can show up the way that I feel strongest to handle the things that require strength in this upside down season. But uh, go, you know, going out and unlocking that potential inevitably is going to be uncomfortable, but you go do it anyway.
1: <laughs> You're looking more and more like a Venice bro during this quarantine.
0: <laughs> this is real. I'm becoming a street fighter character. I'm like a European footballer that gets red cards. I don't know. Like I uh, truly, I look like Zan geef right now from oh, record yeah. Ralph slash street fighter. There's something weird happening in this. I'm house. just
1: upset because I went to my boyfriend after I saw that Rachel was cutting your hair and I was like, babe, let me do this. And he said, absolutely not. I was like, come on, Dave did it.
0: (laughs) Rachel did the first time. And then I figured out how to just run this baby over my head. I'm now cutting my own hair and I got (laughs) to be honest, this might just be a thing that exists from now on. I don't know.
1: I support you go for it. I want to talk a little bit more about control and identity. That's something I've struggled with for a long time. And I was a volleyball player my entire life. And so it was always Kelly Tennant, the volleyball player. And then it was Kelly Tennant, the TV host. And I was so wrapped up in this, I didn't really know who I was. And again, back to the noise and the control of how I wanted people to perceive me. I couldn't let go of this thing. And so when I walked away from my TV career, I didn't know who I was anymore. And I was trying to latch on to something. And what I have realized is that there's no need to latch on to an identity and there's no need to try and control things because we show up the way we show up. We authentically be ourselves, be genuine. And there's a lot of flow that is allowed from that. And I feel like you guys have experienced that as well. The more you just stepped into your genuine nature and stopped trying to control, but just took steps in action of what was meant for you, the flow of your company and everything that you guys have created really came forward. Has that been your experience?
0: Oh, for sure. I I mean, the I will say in real time, we're being affor- afforded a gift if we can appreciate it in how little we have ever had control over anything, right? Like an event like this where we're now we're all, uh, you know, having to have our lives inconvenienced because of quarantining of the virus and people having to put their lives at risk as they're out there on the front lines as essential workers or helping save lives as their nurses and doctors, like no one voted for this. And yet here it is. And it is a reminder of the absence of control. And maybe in the clarity of how little control we have, we're able to focus on the things that we can control. And so the 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 way that hopefully anybody takes anything out of this, or as you have the recognition and transitioning out of your old life to your new, or me out of my old life to my new, the things I afforded weight to, the way that I was trying to curate my feed or my personal brand or live into who I thought they needed me to be, when I came to appreciate how little they were actually paying attention or that it was coming at the expense of me feeling the way I hope to feel when I am by myself, it has afforded a freedom to truly just explore where do I have passion? Where do I have skill? Where can I bring light into this world? And then the more I can focus on those three things, those are the places where the truest, holiest, fullest version of myself comes forward. And I don't know what that means for anyone who's listening, but each of you has a unique life experience. You've been given a very specific set of gifts and you absolutely have something that this world needs, especially during dark times, it needs your light more than ever. And so the more that you can just stay focused on, what am I great at? What am I passionate about? What does this world need that I can offer? that to me, you know, guides a little bit of who I hope to show up as on an every single day basis in a way that traditional stereotypical, how men are supposed to, or people who work in this field, uh, you know, so I'd start there. The the, the other thing, and we started the conversation with this, but my ability to, and anyone's ability to be honest in their experience, to own their struggle, to recognize their own humanity, will afford them an opportunity to connect with other people because of our shared experience and struggle and the shared nature of our humanity. And so when you start to put on a mask or show up the way you think they want, or in any way undermine your ability to fully represent the humanity that you are experiencing, you rob yourself of connecting with people in a way that would allow them to see you in some of your experience. And I, in writing this book, in doing the work we do in our podcasts and getting on that weird morning show every day, we are talking honestly about the things that are happening in our life in a way that affords us connection with this community, but that also because of that connection, yep, it makes them feel less alone, but it also is affording them an opportunity because of now seeing it's okay to say that they're not totally okay, allow them to get the kind of tools that they might need to address the pain that they have. And so, I know it's effective for me in my pursuit of fully unlocking my potential and having as much impact as I can possibly have. And I and I just know no matter what you do, no matter what your pursuit is, your ability to connect with other people, to have an effect on them is contingent on you letting go of what you think you need to be and just showing up as yourself.
1: Just a quick little interruption of this amazing conversation to tell you about my favorite blue blocking glasses from Blue Blocks. Let me tell you something. Staring at the screen all day on my computer, doing interviews, then going upstairs and watching Netflix with Connor is straining my eyes and I needed help. So I went to blue blocks and we got a partnership done and you're getting discounts because of it. And I'm going to save your eyes. So you're all welcome for all the things here is what I love about blue blocks. They go through a three tiered process for quality control. So they say they're protecting your eyes. They're helping with migraines. They're helping with the eye strain of all day being on screens and all these different lights that are filtering through. They actually work. This is so important. So many glasses on the market are just crap. Blue blocks are top of the line and they make sure that you are getting what they promise. They are also raising awareness for Restoring Vision which is a nonprofit in California. So this is really what got me. For every pair sold, they donate a pair of glasses. They really believe that everyone has the right to glasses. So whether they're blue blocking glasses, prescription glasses, blue Blocks has stepped up and their foundation is all about serving communities and making sure that people get what they need. And I love this. So you're covered from day to night, the clear ones, which I have the Clark glasses. I love them so much. They're so cute. They manage blue light. And then they also have a sleep mask, which is super popular. They have so many different varieties and options. They are currently expanding their collection to 40 lenses. So they have 20 right now. They're going to have so many more options coming very soon. I absolutely love this company. They are so rooted in service and supporting you in your health and your wellness and living your best damn life. So get the discount. Go to bluebox.com kellyt Kelly T for 15% off and free shipping. I love them. Enjoy. You get into this and I don't know that you necessarily call it this, but radical honesty. And I think that's one of the scariest things for people to embark on is getting really honest with themselves because it can look painful. It can be very uncomfortable. And oftentimes people have been through very traumatic events in their lives that it takes looking at and working through in order to get to where they want to go. And it's, it creates a barrier between you and this place that you desire to be for yourself. When you've gotten to moments where you know that there's something on the other side and it's about to get very uncomfortable, what does that look like for you?
0: Well, in our relationship, We've embraced this idea. Radical candor is the word that we use. It's a book by Kim Scott, who, if you uh, have not read the book, I recommend it. We ask our team to read this book. Um, But then there's like a 20 minute YouTube that you could watch and get the gist of what she talks about. But in our, in our interpersonal relationships and the way that we work with our teams and the way that Rachel and I try in working together to stay honest in confronting hard things and have courageous conversations, if you this, the the simplest explanation if you care for the people that you are in community with if you care for your team if you care for your partner then your willingness to confront them in the times when they've deviated from what they have previously represented are their core values if they've deviated from the culture that you've hoped to create at your work or in your home if they've deviated or in some way breached the commitment that they've made either as a contributor on your team or a commitment in your marriage or, or or your relationship, then you have a responsibility because of your caring for them to bring it up. Now you have to bring it up in a way that they can hear it. And for us, when we have to have hard conversations, we start each of those conversations with the words, my intention is right. The declaration of the intention of the conversation helps ratchet down just a little bit of the emotion in that hard conversation so that the person who's saying to the other person, you've got some food in your teeth, is able to first represent that their interest is helping them remove the food, right? Is to help them get out of their own way. Uh, There are times when these hard conversations in our world have tipped into places where they are absolutely going to be defensive in terms of how they're received or emotional and how they're talked about. And we've gone to sending emails back and forth to each other as a vehicle to get the topic out, let the emotion process, have the emotion come down and then get into a more constructive conversation. Once each of us are able to construct a little of how we'd like to deal with that conversation. Um, so that's, those are some tips in, you know, how we think about uh, one, one thing I will say if you're in a relationship and you've ever heard the axiom, don't go to bed angry. I want to just really, uh, ask you, please go to bed angry. Uh, Going to bed angry is a fantastic idea because if there is something that is truly like anger is a very specific word. If there's something that is actually going to make you angry, uh, you probably don't have the time to fully process a super constructive dialogue after a certain hour of the day, after you've already had a long day, especially if you also have small human being children. So sleep on it. Wake up the next day with Maybe a different perspective, a different energy, a different ability to have a constructive conversation and then talk. When it comes to yourself, because I think in part you're asking about how do you confront hard things yourself, um, I had to go into understanding a little bit of why and where pain has come from in my life so that I could try and preempt pain from happening. And for me, as I look back on the last three to five years worth of time, every time I have pain, most, most every time I had pain, it was a time where the person I know I can be, or the person I've told people I aspire to be and who I know myself to be when I put my head on my pillow at the end of the day are disconnected. There's incongruence between who I say I want to be or who I've told people that I am and who I know myself to be when I'm by myself. And that dissonance, that space, the incongruence is shame, is guilt, is regret, is under fulfilled potential, is just not doing what you know you can do, what you should do. And when I think about, all right, what does it mean for me to show up as my best self or where might I find contentment or fulfillment? It's my attempt to close the gap, to find congruence between my personal values, the person I say I want to be. And how I show up and how I think of myself when I'm by myself about how well I did. And when you're dealing with that, that distance, that gap, you, as you have it and it's not closing, have to deal with whatever it is that's keeping that gap open. And as much as it might be hard, the alternative is living in shame, is living in regret, is living in underfulfilled potential, is living a not fulfilled life. And so I can, I can connect to the leverage of, oh, I'd rather deal with pulling the Band-Aid off and facing the music and doing the work, whether it's in therapy or on a run or in a journal or through a doctor. I want to do the work because the short-term pain is overwhelmingly worth the long-term fulfillment that is created in creating the congruence between who I know I can be and who I sh- who I think of myself as when I'm by myself.
1: As you get honest with yourself comes personal responsibility. And as we grow, as we're struggling, so often we're projecting onto other people many times our partners, because they're the easiest target, of course, especially in quarantine. When you find yourself in a place of projecting and blame, for someone else, when it's really about you and your experience, because almost always it's just about us and our own triggers. How do you process that and then come back to yourself and know, okay, there's something for me to see here?
0: Well, I don't know that I I catch it as quickly as I would like to, uh, but I'm trying harder. Uh, what we have gotten into the habit of is when the other of us is the recipient of the projection. We actually take a beat, separate ourselves from the emotion, come back to the conversation and represent, well, I don't know that your intention was, how that felt was, and have a dialogue around how the person who received the projection felt as the recipient, as a vehicle to potentially bring light to what may be a blind spot for the person who was projected. Like I wish I could just say like, "Oh yeah, I was I just projected and I totally know that I just did and now I'm going to remedy it." Most of the time, many times, it's because Rachel and I have this commitment to call each other out when we do stuff like this in a way that can be received, not in a I'm going to escalate this into a fight that turns into a 3-day thing where we don't talk. No. We're going to have a conversation so that you can appreciate, "Hey, I'm sure your intention wasn't this, but what it felt like was." And then I can say, "Well, I'll tell you what, it was probably some insecurity that I was feeling about this thing and it manifested in this way. Uh, I guess I'll go on a run. Uh, I'm gonna try harder next time. Uh, can you accept my apology, right? And it doesn't mean that, oh, now I'm just completely free and clear from projecting going forward. But now that my consciousness has been drawn to the fact that it happened, I'm a little more aware of maybe the next time I am triggered, replacing my previous routine with a new routine that's a little more productive instead of one that's more about project. Mm.
1: Something you talk about as well, and I think this is actually into responsibility because if we take responsibility for ourselves, we open ourselves up to being vulnerable and being really seen, especially in a state of apologizing, which I was never very good at and I've gotten real good at over the last year. <laughs> I was so scared to be fully seen because I was so worried about what other people thought of me and I wanted to be accepted and liked. And I love that you actually talked about being the tall acne smart kid. Cause that was really, that was my whole life. I've been this tall six, one since I was 12. So I was like, yes, Dave, I get you. Um, <laughs> but I was really scared of being fully seen and, and showing up as myself, because what if I was rejected and what if I show up in a conversation with my boyfriend and I take responsibility for something, Or something's going on and I feel rejected by him. What is that going to mean about me? In your fear of being fully seen and then transitioning into owning yourself and putting yourself out there. What did it feel like when you finally kind of walked through that door and said, I'm here and I'm owning this and I'm not going to worry about what you think of me?
0: Well, it felt awesome and scary at first because it was a departure from everything that I had subscribed to for most of my uh, of most of my entire life. I, I, I in the book, re- reference the fact that I don't like Lord of the Rings. Send your notes my way. But I don't like Lord of the Rings and my not liking Lord of the Rings does not make Lord of the Rings unlikable. It is a, a very likable franchise as evidenced by at the billions of dollars of box office it's done, and the millions of humans who love Lord of the Rings and are now ready to fight me for not liking it. But I don't, I don't like it. And so if you, in like you know, doing you ends up being something that someone doesn't like, that doesn't make you not likable, doesn't make you not lovable, it doesn't make you not enough or unworthy. It just means that you aren't for them in the same way that Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, which is also terrible, send two notes at once. Thank you very much. Um, is not for me, right? None of us are free ice cream. You're not free ice cream. There's an impossibility of keeping every single person happy. And the only way that you can be truly unhappy is if you try to keep everyone happy, because it is uh, an exercise in futility. When you want, though, to transition away from, oh, the worry of other people liking you as you pursue your dream into this conversation of owning having done something wrong, what you have to ask is, do you want to maintain the illusion of perfection in the eyes of someone you're in a relationship with at the expense of true intimacy, not like just the thing that happens after a certain time of day in your bedroom, but intimacy, the kind of connection that exists between people who are honest and have built a trust and are real with each other about their humanity and their human experience, because it's one or the other right? You can either maintain the veneer of not making mistakes, but not actually connect on a more intimate level, or you can lose the veneer and connect on that more intimate level, knowing that it's going to stink to have to become comfortable owning the imperfect nature of you as a human. But good news, you're owning that imperfectness to someone who also is imperfect. So uh, it works out hopefully well when you can come to terms with you not being the only one in that relationship who is made mistakes or who does dumb things. We all do dumb things. People you know, inevitably always do dumb things. The people who can admit them and can commit to making amends or thinking differently on how they will stay uh, committed to not making the same mistakes as often, those are the people that can have deeper relationships with the ones they love.
1: I think one of the hardest things is to decipher between the voice, the ego that comes into your head and your own truth, your own intuition your own voice, your knowing. And so we'll follow the voice for so long, the I'm not good enough, that's shameful, you should be embarrassed, you don't deserve that, rather than knowing that we are whole, as you say, we're not broken and we are worthy just as we are. When you get into moments where the voice pops in about whatever it is, how do you get yourself out into your intuition, back into your knowing about who you are?
0: Yeah. So the the book is written as 20 lies that I told myself that in believing them kept me from uh, being my best self, kept me in my own way. And each of those lies are stories. They are eh, limiting beliefs in development parlance, but they're stories, right? And so when uh, you start to believe a story that in some way limits what is available to you, your belief in yourself, your thinking you have the capacity to handle something, you have to ask what story you started believing, number one. And uh, for me, I've had to, in then understanding the story that I'm believing, I had to ask where did that story come from? As in, who was the author, right? Who was the author of the story that I'm believing? And does that author have credibility? And so uh, a simple example that I give in the book is this like story that I believe for 36 years of my life, that as a tall human being, that I could not be a runner, right? Tall people can't run. And the the, the lie of the chapter is that uh, things that are available for some people are not available for me. Right. And so I had just convinced myself because of a story that was told to me from a credible source that tall people can't run. It turns out My mother was the author of this story. She's a good woman. I love her very much. And she is a very credible source as storytellers go. And so when I was told by her that uh, tall people can't run, right, a story told to me as love through the lens of her fear, right? She was worried about what running might do to my hips, my back, my knees. And so to protect me through the lens of her fear, she told me my truth. But I never tested the hypothesis of my truth. I accepted her truth as mine until I was thirty-six, and then I was challenged to run, and I started running. And now running is a massive part of my life. I've run a thousand miles literally in the last year. I run all the time. I love to run, and I'm tall, and I'm a runner. So I tested the hypothesis of her truth as my own, and I found out that she was not real in her um, in her truth telling. And and one of the things that is important to recognize in this story is. My mother is neither tall nor a runner, right? So she was a credible source of a story in my life that for 36 years governed how I showed up, but she lacked credibility on the topic. And so if I find myself today confronted by a story of limiting beliefs in whatever way I have to ask, what is the story I'm believing? And where does that story come from? Does the storyteller have credibility? Oh, they do. Okay. Do they have credibility on this topic? And if the answer is no to either of those, they don't have credibility generally or they don't have credibility on the topic, be free, be free. If they do have credibility on the topic, then I got to ask us like a deeper set of questions. But more often than not, man, I am free immediately. And you, no matter what analogy, how you take that analogy of running and put anything into it, you can trace back where that story came from. And more often than not, the reason why you wonder if you can do it comes back to someone who does not have credibility in 2020, either on the topic or generally.
1: I love that you said the word free. We're so tethered to society and to other people and expectations and beliefs and stories. And it seems like this journey for you has been a path to freedom in so many ways. What does being free mean for you?
0: Well, in some ways, freedom, interestingly, has been a byproduct of taking my struggle and wholesale transforming the things that I had shame for into a platform of power. I have written a book. I am talking every day, honestly about anything. I start most podcasts by saying, you can ask me literally anything, nothing is off limits. I don't, there's nothing to hide here. And there is power in having nothing to hide. I am so proud of the way that I have taken the things that were previously in my way and transformed myself, my mindset, the way that I approach things through all the lenses of health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health to think differently and process differently my struggle. And so the freedom for someone who is willing to own their past and own their struggle and take that experience and use it now as a platform for power, forget it. Like the the sky is truly the limit. um, My experience in uncovering how wasteful time there was, how much of a waste of time it was in in having granted other people an opinion on what I was doing, or uh, the worry of what they were thinking about me is is the highest form of freedom. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of people who unfollow me on social media every day. There are hundreds of comments that are sent my way every day That hurt my feelings were I to read them or care about them. But if a tree falls in the forest, you don't hear the sound. And in the same way, those people deciding that I'm not for them has no reflection whatsoever on the many, many multiples of people who do feel like there's something in my sharing my experience that's for them. And so um, oftentimes, like there'll be 100 people. And we could have life-changing effect on 90 of them. But we will draw our focus on the 10 who give us crap, who criticize us, who make us feel that thing that we felt in fourth grade when that person that we liked didn't check the box on a note. And we'll lose all of what could have been good that came out of the 90 people that we affected for the worry of trying to convince the 10 that were good, that we're lovable, that we're enough or worthy, stop. Those 10 people have a different person who is going to help them on their journey. It's just not you. It's maybe not me and that's fine. I wish those people well, I would write them a letter of recommendation where I, that interested and had enough time, but, um, don't worry about the 10 focus on the nine.
1: They're the same people that like Lord of the rings, Dave. Don't hate them.
0: (laughs) Right. I don't need those people. I don't need those people in my life there's trolls in those movies exactly. or, or something i don't know
1: <laughs> i don't know either i've never seen them i refuse um <laughs> i love in the first few pages of the book you bring up that uh, a lot of vodka does not lead to great sex Oh no! so i get that you know we've all been in college and, and done crazy things and not been stoked on the results but it really became a prevalent part of your life and your experience and You talk all the time, both you and Rachel about wanting to make out with each other at night and having that connection. And I totally understand that. And I think it's so beautiful. I'm curious how your growth as an individual and as a couple has allowed you guys to really step into asking for what you want, sharing your desires uh, and connecting on a more intimate level.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the things I think we thought of what marriage was and what being intimate in that way was at the beginning of a relationship is it's laughable 15 years in, I mean, it's nowhere near what it was in part because we are wildly, wildly different people. The most important thing in how we are able to show up for each other intimately and in every single part of intimacy, including sexual intimacy, is a reflection of how much more comfortable each of us as individuals are in how we've grown into who we've become. And when you can have that sense of self and the confidence in who you are, when you've created the habits and routines to have you showing up the way you'd hope, then you can come into that marriage bed. You can come into just the pursuit of having an exceptional relationship with a more centered sense of self, with a more centered sense of what you need and what, you know, ultimately it would take to make her happy or me happy or vice versa. And our willingness to talk about it and to pursue growth as a commodity in each of our individual lives is at like near the top of the list of things that are important to us. And growth in our relationship is at the top of the list of our relationship values because of it being at the top of both of our individual personal values lists. And so as I, as you think about, well, what does that mean in every dimension of our relationship? Well, it means that because we believe you're either growing or dying, you're going one of two ways in every part of your relationship. And so we're trying to continually find better ways to make out. And that includes having more direct conversation around what it would mean to explore this, to do that, to try this, to, oh, you know what, I'm going to be okay being okay with this feedback happening probably not in the moment, but finding ways to provide, right? Finding ways to provide feedback so that we can just keep being better together. And that's, that's the entire point of this thing. And, um, good news. Like we are, we are, we are working on each of ourselves to become a better version of ourselves. I'd argue that at me 45 she 37, we're the best versions of ourselves that we've ever been. I've saved my best year for 45. And as a relationship, as much as man, Our decision to work together in the last couple of years has been, again, the best choice and the hardest. It has been really difficult for us to find our rhythm in how to do the work well, because the work has been really great, and also maintain the level of excellence that we're looking for in our relationship. Intimacy intimacy is a big part of that. And so um, we're gonna continue to figure it out as we go. I'll tell you that much.
1: You said something really profound that hit me about not acting like, you know, what your partner needs. And I, in the last couple of weeks, this has actually been a huge lesson for me. I am I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I'm a helper and a fixer and a mama bear of everybody. And so I always think I know what Connor needs and I'm going to show up the way I think he needs and completely ignore what he's actually asking me for, which is usually to just shut up and give him space. (laughs) But I wanna talk it all to death and come in and save him. And when you said that, I was like, oh my God, it all makes sense now. I'm showing up the way I want to be shown up for, and I believe that this is what he needs rather than let him being the 33-year-old grown man he is and telling me what he needs, which he already has multiple times. and." as you guys have been together for 15 years, the versions of who you are change and evolve and grow. So you show up differently in different chapters of your lives. How tough of a lesson has that been?
0: Well, it's, it's less tough now than it was (laughs) at the beginning. I mean, it was a rude awakening at the beginning. Anyone who uh, comes into being married Uh, Is bringing with them the baggage, sometimes good baggage, sometimes bad baggage, sometimes applicable baggage, sometimes totally irrelevant baggage from their family of origin, from society, from the expectations of other people in their circle, the way other people have handled marriage in their friendship uh, circles, but I came in thinking I had a handle on what it was to be married and how I as a man and she as a woman were supposed to do certain things inside of our marriage. And it did not take into account that it was our marriage, not their marriage, the collective day, my parents or her parents day. And uh, it was a disservice, honestly, to us actually doing as well as we could have done if we hadn't have just spent more time talking honestly about This is what I think marriage is. This is what I think marriage is. Does this actually translate into something that works well in our marriage? So that was an important beginning lesson. But then even as time went by, when there were big life changes, we've had, you know, four, we've we've had, we have four kids. We've had four foster children. There have been a thousand kids through our house. And the incoming or outgoing of of kids during the foster phase or adding new children as we were having kids. Every time it changed what she needed, it changed what I needed. And if uh, we hadn't been in, you know, we're we're now in much more regular conversation, but uh, at the time we needed to be in regular conversation to have an understanding of what the changing time dictated the needs uh, uh, being so that I could, or she could show up well for for that set of needs without either of us assuming that we understood what they were. And so now here we are in quarantine, right? The needs that she has, the needs that I have inside of this quarantine are different than they were eight weeks ago prior to these events taking place. And so we've had to have a different set of conversations around what it means in this weird upside down world to still prioritize self-care, which for us also includes alone time in a world where it's really hard to get away. These kids are, they're always here. They are (laughs) literally always here. And so are we, right? Like we went on a date night last night where we drove the car to the end of the driveway, right? Like we are having to be creative in how we satisfy needs in unconventional times, but being in conversation is part of how you understand what those needs are.
1: Dave, thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. And again, I just, I can't recommend everyone getting your book enough, get out of your own way. It is such a great tool and something that, I mean, I put all these sticky notes, as you can see, I marked it up. It's, I love it because it's, it's like a workbook. You can write all over it there. You can highlight, there are things that you can go back to that will come up in different parts of your life. And I think that's really important. This is not for someone that can just use it right now. You can come back to this in a year, in two years, and realize that there are still applicable lessons. Um, and I think that's really important uh, that you really cover a broad spectrum of conversations. So thank you so much.
0: Wow. Oh, that's so nice, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for this time. It's been really great to catch up and I'm sure this won't be the last time we get to hang out. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash kelly to leave a five star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.